Hello and welcome to Army of Crime, your favorite crossover podcast. This episode, we are looking at Hellboy Animated and Black Panther by Jack Kirby. And before we pick this as a topic, I actually did not realize that Hellboy Animated also had its own comic books, which is kind of a separate side universe, which I found very kind of novel and cute. And maybe I shouldn't have because, of course, there's a million versions of Batman and Spider-Man and whatever, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and then we're also going to look at the run on Black Panther that Jack Kirby did in the Bronze Age, which is kind of a lesser discussed, both as a Jack Kirby arc and as work on the Black Panther. Yeah, so this would be his third time third and last time working at Marvel Comics and his second time working on the character of the Black Panther. In the mid to late 70s, he went back to working for Marvel after creating the fourth world at DC and he started working on a Black Panther solo series, the character that him and Stan Lee had created back in uh, the 60s for the Fantastic Four. And he did 12 issues of the Black Panther. So then the question is, Matt, what did you think of Jack Kirby's uh, Black Panther series? I don't usually say this when I go through Kirby stuff, but I did feel a little underwhelmed by it, if we're being completely honest. The art is really cool. And there is, of course, a lot of cool designs and a lot of interesting concepts which is what we would expect from mr kirby i feel like the story was a little stretched thin again if we're being honest and this is time at marvel he also made the eternals which we had a previous episode above which we both loved for any number of reasons and here you do get some of that energy um his art is really firing on all cylinders there's a lot of great images i felt like the story was a little thin and, you know, if someone is going into this from watching the Black Panther movie or reading more contemporary Black Panther comics, they're probably going to be a little confused. So in this, we don't really get into the interesting concept of Wakanda as like the sole uncolonized nation on Earth or something like that, or even their unique status in the world if i had to compare it to anything it's almost like black panther as indiana jones he's like a globe-trotting world adventurer yeah he seems to get roped into the adventures of these uh like collectors who are obsessed with these like rare artifacts and he has to go fetch them and the opening one is about this like golden frog that's a time machine of sorts and it does get into some Kirby sort of uh, stuff where this frog, it shows it like summoning these creatures in the past that are responsible for like ancient like myths, which is like a very uh, Kirby idea. And then it also uh, has, it like summons this like a being from like the year six million or whatever, who's like this like psychic, like a guy with a giant head. And that was kind of fun. I mean, the story, yeah, like compared to something like The Eternals, it definitely feels like a step down and maybe something that's less ambitious. It's just like a globe-trotting adventure story. 
Um, I mean, I still enjoyed reading it. I thought it was fun. It's, you know, I don't know that Jack Kirby is really uh, capable of like phoning it in. So the the stories are still like pretty enjoyable. And like he goes to Black Panther goes to this ancient city where there's like uh, immortal samurai like living inside of a mountain and they have like the fountain of youth and there's like yeah like a guy from the year like six million who has like a giant head and has like psychic powers and is like can like blows up like alien spaceships in the future with his mind disintegrator rays and there's four of black panther's relatives who all like team up to become like superheroes to help fight this guy who like turns into a giant monster after being exposed to vibranium so i mean you're definitely right in that there's like it seems like there's like multiple issues that are just about black panther trying to get back to wakanda and he keeps running into all these like absurd uh situations but, you know, overall, I still thought it was pretty fun. It definitely, you know, it d- doesn't have the highs as the Eternals, but it also doesn't have, like, six issues of him fighting the Incredible Hulk. So it's got that going for it. Yeah, and all the stuff that you mentioned is the stuff that I liked. So I liked the stuff at the beginning where they're finding the time travel device and they have to plunder this ancient tomb. And then he meets the hidden civilization. That's a very Kirby concept, the hidden advanced civilization i mean that's what wakanda is basically and he would use that in the fantastic four as well uh for the reservation there's like a secret advanced native reservation that white wingfoot is from and then the inhumans the eternals the fourth world they're kind of like that and then here you get the the samurai with the the fountain of youth I like all that stuff. I felt like when he's trying to get back to Wakanda and he, like you said, he was almost like the Odyssey where you keep getting spun into like these side adventures. I kept waiting for him to get back to Wakanda. I felt like, I felt like it was, like he was kind of spinning the wheels a little. I don't know. Did you not feel like that? Yeah, I did feel like that a little bit. It did, it did kind of seem like they were just like stretching it out. So I would not disagree with you about that. And then the issue at the end. So he, he writes, he writes and draws issues one through 12. And then he actually leaves. I'm not sure what the reason is for his departure, but he leaves. And this was not a storyline I was particularly interested in. Again, if we're being perfectly honest, but he leaves and I started reading the next issue and you can feel the momentum of the story basically grind to a halt. There is really something to that energy level that he brings because when you start reading the next issue, you immediately just get, get bombarded with like walls of text and the, the story kind of grinds to a snail's pace. And it's kind of a testament to with Jack Kirby operating kind of at the height of his powers here in the late Bronze Age. You know, this is the time period, like we mentioned, that he had made the Eternals um, and after he left D.C. where he had made, I mean, the demon Omak, the fourth world. He can still make something that on paper is a little thin. I mean, he can still give it a lot of energy and a lot of good. There's a lot of good art. There's still a lot of cool character designs. I think it's Princess... Princess Zonda. Yeah, Princess Zonda has a cool design. Um, The storyline at the end is for this character, Kyber the Cruel, which I did not find all that interesting, but it's a cool design. He looks like some kind of zombie vampire who can teleport. Yeah, that's the last... The the issues 11 and 12, um, which are definitely a step down. And I did like the part where his relatives all step in and they all take advantage of their different kind of talents to try and fight 
the monster that's rampaging through Wakanda. I will say the name, the Black Musketeers, uh, isn't great. Yeah, it's like we're still in, you know, I guess Kirby, to his credit, was making a series starring the Black Panther and populating it with mostly, like, Black characters. Um, but he still has a, a a thing with, like, having a Black character have the name The Black Blank, which is a little uh, old-fashioned, you might say. Yeah. But it was the storyline with them in it is fun. That's actually the interesting part of that. It's like Black Panther is trying to get back to Wakanda, and there's like a lot of wheel spinning, and the stuff happening in Wakanda is actually more interesting than the stuff with Black Panther, which is yeah. kind of weird and not what you would expect at all, actually. But I like the little part where his four relatives are trying to do their best while he is trying to make his way back there. Yeah, they basically team up. They all put on like uh, Black Panther style costumes and the four of them together basically try to fill in for one Black Panther while he's gone. And they're like normal average people who are not, you know, trained super like Kung Fu fighters, but they use their skills from their other parts of their life. Like one of them is a race car driver, um, which I thought was kind of fun. What did you think about the part where he accidentally stumbles onto the set of Star Wars? Yeah, that's kind of funny. It's He stumbles into a science fiction movie, and it made me think of the movie Argo, which is about where they're making a fake science fiction movie that was ostensibly based off of some kind of Kirby designs. He seems to have really had an interest in if he could have somehow produced like a Star Wars-like movie. It's also interesting that in a plot element... Essentially, this is just something to distract Black Panther while he's trying to get back to Wakanda. And he still makes up all these, like, costumes and things for you to look at while you're doing it. Like, instead of just having a film crew, it's a film crew of a science fiction movie. And there's people walking around dressed like aliens and robots and all kinds of stuff. As you mentioned, he never just, like, phones it in. It's never just, like, a room full of people. Right. Did you like... One thing, one detail that I really liked, which I thought was interesting, was how... Whenever Black Panther was about to get into a fight with someone, he would don his ritual mask, which I thought was interesting. Like, he couldn't fight anybody until he, like, put on his mask. I don't know. That's an interesting... Like, he tried to... Um, he he emphasizes the fact that the Black Panther is, like, part of this, like, ancient cult to protect the vibranium mound. And he sort of, like, emphasizes kind of, like, the mysterious aspect of that i don't know i thought that was kind of fun what was your favorite kirby ish concept in this series i liked the the hatch 22 guy oh yeah that was pretty great he's the guy who they accidentally summoned from the future with this it's sort of weird because they have this time machine but it's a one-way time machine so when you activate it all it does is summon someone from the future to the present which doesn't really seem like it would be all that useful, but yeah, they summon this guy from the year 6000 where humans all live underground in these underground cities and have giant heads and psychic powers that they use to blow up alien spaceships. And they have to try to return this guy to his own time before he uses his psychic powers to disintegrate them all. I really liked the hidden city of immortal samurai, which is almost like some kind of samurai themed Wakanda because you see that they actually brought all their commoners with them. It's not clear if the commoners also get to live forever, but it's not just a band of people. It's like a little country. It's like a little city. 
Yeah, they well, they say that the the peasants are the descendants of the people. So only like the oh, nine, they do. Okay. the nine like samurai are the ones that are like immortal. But yeah, that was it. Kind of made me think of like a Shangri La kind of thing. Yeah, I did like the Solomon's Tomb. I'm not gonna say that chasing a little frog statue is that interesting of a plot element. It is kind of a cool, you know, like a random time machine. I guess is what you call it. It's like a unstable time machine. You could have a lot of fun with that concept. But the little frog. There's a lot of like items, like magic items, which ties into the fact that he's interacting with these quote unquote collectors who are like these super rich people who chase rare artifacts. And I feel like that isn't setting up a great plot. It's very rare. I think you'd have a plot about a great plot in a story about collecting the magic items. I think he does as good with it as you could. Yeah, it it definitely. Yeah. Like he sets up like Indiana Jones is probably a good comparison though. It's like black Panther only, sets up to collect these items when his arm is being twisted by other circumstances. So it's like the stories are, are really more just about him trying to, you know, fulfill these obligations. Like he doesn't have much of a personal investment in finding. Right. The, Cause he's not greedy. He doesn't want them for any purpose. He, he mentions keeping them out of their hands. Like he wants to get them so that he can fix the problems that it's causing. But yeah, he has no interest in actually going around collecting the magic items you know what i think my final point on this would be these these 12 issue this 12 issue arc it is kind of an oddity i think in some ways because it's weird that he leaves in mid storyline right and i think what we're lacking here is a good antagonist because there's no through line for the series and ostensibly the antagonist is his half brother that becomes a vibranium monster but we don't get a lot of him I think there's a there's a lack of a good antagonist. The collectors are kind of interesting, but they're sort of morally ambivalent in some ways. Would you agree with that? I think we need a really solid antagonist to tie a lot of this together. Yeah, there might be something to that. I mean, I think Princess Zonda is kind of an interesting character, but then he leaves her behind like halfway through. Yeah, if he had kept her on, I think there was a lot of potential there. Yeah, I mean, overall, I would say that this is a like a good comic book series, and it's fun if you are a Jack Kirby fan, but it definitely does not reach the heights of, you know, of his best work, which admittedly is a pretty high bar to clear. Yeah, and I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it to someone that was getting into Black Panther based on more contemporary Black Panther material. It definitely does not seem to bear the hallmarks of what you would expect from like a black panther story for the most part we should say though that the art is great there's a lot of great art and i have absolutely no complaints about that there's a lot of great scenes there's vistas he has you know the hidden cities and the technology and the costume designs and the different characters so the art is great so it's not i don't want to say i'm dissing it but it's when not they, the Eternals if we're looking at Bronze Age Marvel Kirby. When they reveal King Solomon's tomb, there's a great panel showing all these like Kirby machines. So yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of like if you're into Jack Kirby's kind of like angular, sci- detailed science fiction style, like there's definitely a lot of fantastic images to kind of marvel over. 
it's just yeah like you said the story is a little is a little thin overall So they put out these Hellboy animated movies around the time that the Hellboy movie starring Ron Perlman came out. And they actually have the voice actors. The voice actors are the actors from the movies. The Hellboy animated movie ties into some of the Hellboy mythos, which I was kind of surprised by. It does have a Donald Trump vaguely inspired character named Trumbolt, who is mentioned as some kind of shady real estate tycoon or something. Yeah, so the premise of this film is that it uh, flashes back to Professor Broom, who is also played by, voiced by John Hurt, as he is played by John Hurt in the film, the live-action film. He uh, fought this, like, evil witch, I guess, who was a, uh, uh, like, a follower of the goddess Hecate, and... And then in the modern times, it has them investigating this haunted house that's owned by this sort of, yeah, like Donald Trump stand in who's trying to like turn the house into some like a tourist trap kind of place based on the fact that he has all these like haunted artifacts or whatever and that the house is supposedly haunted. So they're there to investigate it. And originally, they're all just kind of like laughing it off. But Broom wants to go there because he suspects that his old nemesis, this evil uh, witch lady, might be involved in some way. So that's why they go there to check it out. And then subsequently, uh, wacky adventures and happenstances and fight scenes uh, break out. So what did you did you enjoy this film? I did enjoy it. I thought it was fun and it kind of sets up a nice there's some nice visuals in it. Um, there's some color-coded rooms later on where they're fighting uh, like a werewolf and Abe Sapien gets kidnapped by some um, harpies. And I thought there were some fun visuals. There's a lot of vampire kind of aesthetic. It ties into the real history of the um, the Blood Countess. I felt like it seemed a little long, even at the 70-some minute runtime that they were kind of spooling it out, to be honest, because the, the vampire thing sort of segues into Hecate, the Greek goddess of witches which sort of ties into the overall Hellboy story. Yeah, she's an important villain in, in the Hellboy comic books. Though this, it should be noted, takes place in a separate continuity from the live-action films and from the comic books. It's in its own, like, Hellboy animated continuity. I actually did not know that. I assumed it meant to take place in the continuity of the movies. But anyway, I thought it was, I thought it was a nice bit of fun. I did feel like even at 70-some minutes, it started to feel a little long. To be honest, I don't know if there was a lot of story there to to justify even the 70 minute runtime. There isn't a ton of story, but um, and this is going to sound rather weird, but I actually kind of enjoy uh, these animated films more than the live action Guillermo del Toro films. Okay. yes. Interesting. Continue, because I'm 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 interested. Yeah, I'm surprised by you saying that. Uh, there's another uh, Hellboy animated film called uh, Sword of Storms. This is what I was referring to. Um, but the one that we watched with the blood and iron. But yeah, so the reason for that is I feel like that there are... You say there's a lot less story involved, which is true. And I, I think part of why that I enjoy them more than the live-action films is I feel like the live-action films get 
larded up with this extra story involved with uh, Hellboy's character development and with the like a romantic subplot, which I don't think that the live action film actually does justice too much. And I think that it just ends up becoming sort of this like wasted time that they devote to like Hellboy and Liz Sherman like being a couple, which I don't think really works at all. And you know, like Abe Sapien is in love with this uh, princess that he like just meets and I don't buy that at all. And Hellboy has to like learn to stop being such like an irresponsible uh, youth or whatever, even though he's like 75 years old. Um, and none of, and in the live action films, like none of that like really works for me. So the fact that in the, in this film, they don't bother to do any of that. It's basically just like a straightforward, like action story where they don't really care that much about like character stuff. It's basically just like the BPRD team goes someplace and then monsters start popping up and then they have to start hitting the monsters. So it's uh, just like a straightforward like action thing for the most part. And because of the, the simplicity of it, I actually find it to be more more effective than the live action films. Have I stunned you into silence with my hot take? It is a pretty hot take. Do you feel like it was effective in Blood and Iron, the way the story kind of shifted gears from being about the vampire to being about the the witch goddess? Yeah, that was kind of clumsy in the sense that it was like building up this one person as the villain and then it kind of like dispatches them and, and then suddenly switches over. I mean, yeah, that was kind of clumsy, but the, you know, the fight scene with Hellboy fighting Hecate was fun, so... It still worked for me. I mean, yeah, it's not great. Like, it's not a fantastic film. Like, I would agree with you that the plotting is sort of clumsy. And it's a, you know, it tries to, like, divide time between all of the uh, characters equally. So giving them all, all, like, all things to do, which I don't think is always that effective because you have, like, Hellboy fighting Hecate. And then the other characters might not be really doing anything all that interesting, and it has to like cross cut between them to like establish these things as being equal importance. Um, in the other Hellboy animated film, Sword of Storms, uh, there's a really dumb way they do that by trapping Abe Sapien and Liz Sherman like on an island, fighting some like random unrelated monster, while Hellboy like solves the main story of the of the film. So, I mean, it's not as bad as that, but that's definitely... In this movie, Abe Sapien gets captured and tortured for a section of the plot, which seems to tie him down. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, they, while Hellboy is fighting the big big bad, they have to have something for everyone else to do. So, yeah, they have Abe Sapien get, like, captured for a little while. Yeah, and like you, know, you I said, did think it was fun, and I thought it, I thought it was, yeah, reasonably well-made. There was some nice visuals. I... I um, it, you can tell it's a very high production value kind of thing. It made me think while watching it, it would be fun if there was a whole show. Because well, if we're making Hellboy animated, you know, why not a Hellboy animated show? And you could really spool out a lot of this um, and have it be more serialized, which is, of course, Hellboy's nature, is to have a lot of short adventures that tie together. Well, I think that was apparently originally how this project started was there was some interest in doing a Hellboy animated 
cartoon show that didn't pan out and then it ended up being them making these um, films instead. Yeah, I wonder if some of that plays into how this movie does end up feeling a little episodic if they had stuff already designed or planned out and they compressed it down into one movie. Oh, perhaps. Yeah, I could maybe see that. So Hellboy it, Animated, you would you would recommend? Yeah. For the, for the giggles? For I the mean, fun? maybe you kind of already have to be um, invested in Hellboy to to get into it. And like you said, it is fun that it has the uh, voice actors are the actors from the live action films. So that's so the voice performances are fun. And I did get a few chuckles from some of Hellboy's, you know, one liners, which, of course, he has a lot of. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it, it's not going to like change your life, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, we, weirdly, it uh, by being so much like narrower in scope and less ambitious it kind of avoided the things that irked me about the live action films i would also want to say that the animated films have kate corgan in them who's one of my favorite hellboy characters so that was oh, kind yeah of that's fun. right they, yeah they have professor corrigan they also have everyone's favorite bprd character sydney leach Yes, Sydney Leach is is one of the characters in this for some reason. Um, and also, I was going to say Kate Corrigan is voiced by I can't remember her name, but the actress who plays Roz on Frasier. Yeah, who's in so, a lot of things. Yeah, and you you hear her voice and you're like, oh yeah, it's her. Yeah, as soon as she started talking, I was like, oh my god, she sounds so familiar, and I couldn't place it right away. She actually does some voices for the... I believe she plays Livewire on the Superman animated show. Oh, okay. I was going to mention, too, that the the visual look of this is... Uh, to me, it was kind of reminiscent of, like, the Batman the Animated Series or, like, Superman the Animated Series look. Like, it had maybe a bit of, like, a Bruce Timm sort of inspired uh, look to it. Um which I think is a good look for Hellboy. Yeah, which I thought was effective uh, for this. If you like Hellboy and you have 75 minutes to kill, I would say it's, uh, it's worth checking out this animated film. So, Matt. Yeah. Did you have anything that you would like to recommend? I'm going to recommend something that I kind of mentioned that is from Kirby's work at DC before he jumped back to Marvel, which would be Jack Kirby's The Demon, which is in one omnibus. So The Demon was one of the characters that he had created when he had jumped over to DC. And he had a short run on the demon, which is like a weird mixture of horror and like horror fantasy. And then with a lot of kind of superhero elements in it. Yeah, the demon is a lot of fun. It, it's, you know, like Kirby's sensibilities are not really that well suited, I think, for doing like a straight horror series. So it ends up more becoming like this epic fantasy action kind of thing which yeah. is not bad at all it's like you know within his wheelhouse except instead of crazy 
science fiction stuff, it's kind of like, you know, well, Matt, it has King Arthur in it. Well, I don't know if it does actually have King Arthur in it, but it has Merlin in it. Because is it Merlin, like, the villain in The Demon? Yeah, and there's another. There's a number of other really good characters. The reason I recommend The Demon is it's from a kind of similar time period, not exactly from the same time period because it was before he went back to Marvel again, but it shows the kind of thing that Kirby could do on one standalone character that isn't necessarily an epic sprawling saga like the Eternals or the fourth world. So it's probably a better example of something like the black Panther, but maybe with a little more creative control since it was a character he made completely. Although I'm sure they gave Kirby total creative control on black Panther, but it's a good example of him taking a single character and just telling stories about that character without spinning into like a big epic. Like it's a little more focused than something like the Eternals or the new gods. Right. Do you have a recommendation for us there, Mr. Dustin? You know, I would recommend another, uh, Jack Kirby book because what the, Hey, we both love. I think Jack Kirby is in our personal, our podcast uh, Hall of Fame with like Darwin Cook and uh, you know Garth Ennis and Mike Mignola, yeah. Um, but uh, the Newsboy Legion, which is not from this time period at all, is back from like the 1940s when he uh, first worked for DC Comics, and it's about these like kids who are newsboys and have sort of like wacky adventures in. They live in a part of town called Suicide Slum, which is like this rundown crap hole, like ghetto part of town. And they have uh, go on sort of wacky adventures. And this was a series that he created with and did with uh, Joe Simon. So this is back from that like partnership before the Stanley and Jack Kirby days. And kind of what I find interesting about Newsboy Legion is that, I mean, the comics themselves are really fun, but it's interesting. Uh, from a sort of class perspective, because you have these stories that are explicitly about like poor kids who are surviving in this like sort of horrible, like rundown a slum. And they, their adventures are usually about that, about like rich politicians or like gangsters, like trying to take advantage of people in their neighborhood or of them trying to like find ways to like escape from the neighborhood with like get rich quick schemes or other kinds of things. So the, the the stories have this like interesting like class perspective, which I really appreciate and which I believe is somewhat autobiographical from like a Jack Kirby's own childhood. And there, there's two hardcover collections of the Joe Simon and Jack Kirby uh, Newsboy Legions. Um, I know at some point I believe like World War II started and like other people started doing them, but I believe the the first volume is pure, is just like straight up Simon and Kirby stories, and they are a lot of fun. Well, that is our show. We skipped the annoying pre-show banter this time. We'll have to make sure to include some of that next time. I'll save up some really good banter. Yeah. 
As always, you can find us on The Things. I am at Twitter. Um, I am not at Twitter. I am on Twitter, at Army of Crime. Dustin is on Twitter, at Dustin44444. Throw some extra fours on there. If that yeah, why work. not? Could be 444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444444